Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We come to the third Sunday after the great feast of Pentecost, that dawning of realization and consciousness and knowledge upon the, the confusion of the holy apostles, after which they are unconfused, and that inauguration of the outflowing of the Holy Spirit through the veins of the body of the Church, which we celebrated on the first Sunday in All Saints and in the last Sunday, the Saints of Mount Athos. Today we have all the new martyrs of the Turkish yoke. The Gospel today is an extremely difficult one, not because it uses big words, which it does not, and not because the ideas or concepts that the Gospel speaks of this morning are difficult, but because the advice that they give seems so unrealistically far from us. The Gospel is essentially advising us that all of our life is in the hands of Christ. God is in charge, and you and I do not need to engage in agitations and anxieties about anything. So many of our anxieties have to do with our relationships with other people. What does he think of me? What does he not think of me? What uh, is going on in their minds? And so on and so forth. The Gospel says, don't be anxious about this kind of stuff. Let things be, let things happen. God is in charge. I think that the most composed human being I ever met in my life was the now reposed elder Joachim on Manathos. Nothing could agitate him. He appears in almost all the big coffee table books on the Holy Mountain because he was such a beautiful man physically and because he had such a perfectly realized monastic face, large iconic eyes, and an expression of absolute placidity, of peacefulness. Even through the photograph, he breathes this. Well, I sat talking with him, uh, kneecap to kneecap, because he was quite ill the first time I went to see him, and all of the things that are going on in the church, and you and I know what some of them are, and all of the things that trouble, and and he would just say in a voice that was from another age and from someplace else, God will judge. Otheos Takrini. No matter how horrible the situation was that was going on, and at that time, like now, there were some pretty terrible things happening especially in the church. And he said, without any ruffle at all, God will judge. God is not mocked, God will judge. And so perfectly had he realized this fundamental truth of all belief, <laughs> that it left him absolutely free inside to not be worried about this and not to be anxious about that, and so on and so forth. My goodness, it takes you right back to the Gospel of Martha and Mary. Martha, Martha, thou art anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which was simply to sit at the feet of the Savior. 
and let the Savior act. In our agitated state, in our nervousness, in, in, with all of our anxieties, is it not quite possible that you and I inadvertently, we don't want to do this, but inadvertently are blocking the grace of the Holy Spirit in our own minds and hearts, in our own life. This gospel is a prolonged hymn to not doing that. Don't go there. And what is so difficult about the gospel is that we say, yes, yes, true, <laughs> but look at my day, look at my life, look at my responsibilities and obligations, look at everything that depends on me. Ooh, how can I just drift and let God be the driver, let God occupy the driver's seat and me not worry? In the light of this morning's gospel, worry itself becomes a kind of sign of unfaithfulness, infidelity to God. We can say the creed, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, perfectly, perfectly correctly, and still not trust that God. Now, it doesn't mean, as the Desert Fathers and all the monastic saints prove to us, it doesn't mean that we simply uh, crawl into the back seat and have a nice lifelong snooze. This gospel is not... Uh, uh, counsel to just kind of drift aimlessly in our lives. Obviously, there is much that we must do. For one thing, we know that uh, we have to fight off demons and passions that uh, are demonically inspired in us. That said, and that truly being our responsibility, yes, God will judge. We do have choices to make, and we must make them. And that must engage our attention, but not necessarily engage our agitated attention or our worry or our anxieties. That calm assurance that faced with some personal crisis, God will work this out. God will settle this. Christ will take care of this. This uh, peaceful mind and heart with which so many pious Orthodox Christians over the years have referred things to the care of the Virgin Mary, the Theotokos, or of the saints in general, or one particular saint. And then themselves step back and let grace act. This gospel is all about that. We have before us today the lives of uh, the martyrs, the new martyrs of the Turkish yoke, uh, which had the, the uh, persecution and killing of Christians, of course, goes back to the very origins. Uh, St. Paul, in the book of uh, Acts and elsewhere, refers to the fact that he was going along with Jews who were traveling around uh, the Middle East to kill Christians. So it's an old story. It goes way back. But the Muslims have um, pursued Christians with a, um, a very realized, a very developed 
um, uh, anim animosity, and of course have killed uh, tens of thousands. The uh, numbers of Christians who were put to death in the year 1922 in the city of Smyrna in Turkey uh, is probably somewhere around 250,000 uh, in one, the burning of one city in one uh, week. So the uh, numbers of men and women, old and young children, who have uh, been killed by these people is, is very high. And uh, the gospel today reminds us that the Christians did not live under the uh, Turkish or under the Islamic yoke in a state of nervous anxiety and stress and uh, trembling. The Christians, if you read the martyrdoms, are usually quite calm, <laughs> a lot calmer than the Muslims who are trying them, finding them guilty of Christianity and then uh, putting them to death because of that. You know, there's the famous story of the uh, Greek saint who... Um, was living in a, a little hermitage all by himself up in the hills above a city. And on one dark and stormy night, there was a, a banging at the door, and he opened it, and there was a Greek, a, a Christian, obviously, who was running in terror from the Turks. So, of course, the saint invites him into his uh, keli, his little hut, his cabin, and he uh, gives him something to drink and some food and calms the man down, and it turns out that the man is running from the Turkish police because he's murdered someone. He's murdered someone. And, uh, and uh, as the uh, father, as the uh, monk interrogates this uh, Greek uh, more and more, it turns out that the man that he killed was the hermit's own natural brother. But the man does not become agitated. The uh, saint does not become agitated. <laughs> how could you do that? You've killed my brother, my own flesh and blood. How, how, how can I have you here? Get out, get out. None of that. He remains absolutely peaceful. Because he trusts that God is going to settle everything. He encourages the man to realize the sinfulness of his murdering someone, anyone. And uh, he does not reveal to the man that the man he killed was his brother because he realized that that would introduce uh, new levels of stress into an already overly stressed situation. So as Christian to Christian, he uh, attempted to help the man through the uh, predicament as he began to realize, as it began to dawn on him, and uh, like many killers, like many murderers, it had not dawned on him that uh, he had committed one of the worst sins of which a man is capable. So, <clears throat> he then told the man, well, you know, you have to give yourself up to those people, to those Turkish police, and they'll try you and probably find you guilty and execute you. But you've killed someone, you understand. So you have to pay the price on this earth. And uh, finally, he uh, and the Turkish police came looking for him, and the monk would not reveal that he knew where he was. It was their job to find him, they could find him. He wasn't going to aid and abet those people at all. And of course, ultimately, they did find the man, and so on and so forth, and exactly as the saint had predicted, that is what came to pass. But what is uh, very striking is that the saint kept his cool... <laughs> He remained absolutely unstressed, unanxious un uh, about all of that. 
At no point did he lose his emotional composure, but he maintained his composure because he knew that God would act. God is in charge here, and God will take care of this. And this was a very, very great gift. There are innumerable stories like that. You remember the story of the, uh, the Grand Duchess Elizabeth, who became an abbess, now one of the new martyrs? You remember that the communists threw her down with other members of her family into a mine shaft, and then they threw grenades down after them, killing them. Well, she was the wife of the Grand Duke uh, Sergio, Serge, Sergei, and he was uh, assassinated in Moscow in 1905. They threw a bomb under his carriage and blew him up. So, you know, it was a bad bomb. They blew him up. It killed uh, the horse. It, you know, it was bad. So the Grand Duchess heard the explosion and she ran outside the palace that they had, they shared in Moscow, and there was her husband. And, of course, the grisly details we do not need to go on, but it took her a while to gather her husband together and uh, have put him appropriately on a, a, a linen sheet and then have him taken uh, inside the palace. But there she was, covered with her husband's blood. And what did she do then? They had caught the assassin, the killer. She ran off to the uh, prison. Well, of course, people expected that she would be there, shaking her fist at this man, and how dare you kill my husband, and you are a fiend, and you know this, that, and the next thing. Uh, no. She wanted to pray with the man and for the man. And again, to bring him to a, a state of uh, repentance for what he had done. And the prison guards and the governor of the prison, all who were watching this and seeing this because they brought the man out of his cell and they set him down across the table from the Grand Duchess. And uh, they said, how composed she was. Well, that is, she becomes a saint. <laughs> you know, a martyr herself. But uh, wh where did she derive this composure? You know, she had not gone to composure school sometime in Germany when she was a German princess and learned how to be composed, you know, grace under pressure. But because of her absolute faith that God would act, her absolute trust in God, left her free to do her job, which was to pray for sinful people and to pray for her own sins, <laughs> to repent of her, her own sins. These are grand lessons for us. They are the lessons that are bequeathed to us, especially by the saints. But they are also the lessons that we derive from any reading of the uh, scripture. And uh, I pray that we will have this kind of composure, the roots of which are in our true faith, our true trust in our Savior. As Father Joachim said so many times during my first conversation with him, God will judge and take care of things. Amen and Amen.